Hey everyone, and welcome to the Bible Breakdown Podcast. In this podcast, we will be breaking down the Bible one chapter a day. Whether you are a new believer or have been following Christ for a while, we believe that you will learn something new and fresh every single day. So thank you for joining us, and let's get into breaking down the Bible together. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Bible Breakdown Podcast with your host, Pastor Brandon. Today, 1 Samuel chapter 1, and if I could give this one a title, it would be Praying Like a Drunk Man. <laughs> praying like a drunk person, let me put it like that, because it was a lady who was praying like a drunk person. But as always, if you like what we're doing here, make sure you like, share, and subscribe to the YouTube channel. We're on our way to 1,000. We're going to be there so soon. Thank you so much for that. Make sure you leave us a five-star review on the podcast. I see so many more of you on Spotify doing that. Thank you for that. It helps so much. Make sure if you're on Amazon, if you're on Apple, or if you're on Google, that you leave us some five-star reviews as well. And we need you to leave us a comment as well. What it does is it helps the algorithm see that people are listening to this, and it helps other people discover what we're doing. And then, as always, our rallying point, the Facebook discussion group, uh, Bible Breakdown Discussion. It is just wonderful. It's awesome. Thank you so much for all those who are working hard there. I love doing this thing called just digging into God's Word together. And the more we dig, the more we find. Today is 1 Samuel chapter 1. And as always, as we get ready to dive into a new book of the Bible, I want to take a moment and give you a little bit of background to get some context. And I'm really excited to share with you something about this section of the Old Testament that nobody ever told me when I was growing up, probably because it was common knowledge at the time, and it wasn't to me. And so I was lost for the longest time, and it finally made sense. I'm going to do that one in a second, but first let me give you a little bit of background. So 1 Samuel was written by, part of it was by Samuel. Now, when I say part of it, here's the first thing you need to know. We have in our English Protestant New Testament Bibles, we have 1st and 2nd Samuel. But originally, when this was written, it was written as one big book. As a matter of fact, if you were to read in a Jewish Old Testament, the Tanakh, it would be one book. 1st and 2nd Samuel is the same book. It wasn't until the Old Testament Tanakh was written into Greek, called the Septuagint, that they divided it into 1st and 2nd Samuel. So at the very beginning, the way it was written and the way the Jewish people still read it today, it's one book, one just 1st and 2nd Samuel as one thing. Now, we think that Samuel likely wrote the first piece of it, probably his autobiography. But then eventually, Samuel is going to die, spoiler alert, <laughs> and then the rest of it was likely written by a prophet named Nathan and likely a historian named Gad. This was also during a time when the nation of Israel was finally asking for a king. They were tired of what was going on back in the day with judges, and they're saying, please give us a king. And so Samuel is the last judge, and you see through First and Second Samuel, First and 2 Kings, and First and Second Chronicles, you see what happens when they go from having just a loose collection of tribes to a kingdom, a monarchy, and then eventually is going to end with the exile. We're going to talk about that later. All of this happens within the land of Israel, and the date for this is somewhere between 1120 and 1100, or excuse me, 10 uh, BC. So between 1120 and 1000, rather, BC. I'm going to get there right in a second. <clears throat> the events from First and Second Samuel took place over about 110 years. So there's a lot going on here, a lot of time going on here, and it ends with, or begins with, the end of the book of Judges, and it ends with the death 
of Saul. So a lot is going to be happening in here. And it was written, you know, about that time when everything was switching over, the nation of Israel is about to be born as far as as a kingdom, and a lot of stuff's going to happen. You're going to have some main characters in here you probably heard of, Samuel, Saul, and then of course, David, one of the central figures in the entire Old Testament. The reason why this is so important, the first and second Samuel is so important, is because as they are forming into this kingdom from these different tribes, you're going to see a particular view that's going to make sense in a little while. A couple of interesting facts about first Samuel is this, is that it is a time of them coming together, but it's also a time when they are introduced to this guy named David. David is the second king of Israel, but really God's choice to be the one that really develops the dynasty. Everything is still developed around David, even till today. If you look at the Israeli flag, the star that's on it is called the Star of David. And you could really easily look at the life of David as one of the high points. He and his son Solomon is the high points of Israel that they never quite came back from. So the idea behind this is chronicling what's going on and helping the nation of Israel just understand their heritage. If we were to have a theme verse for this, and we're going to get to this at, at the end, the theme verse would be 1 Samuel chapter 12. It says this, Be sure that the fear of the Lord, be sure to fear the Lord and faithfully serve him. Think of all the wonderful things he has done for you, and if you can, but if you continue to sin, you and your king will be swept away. Now, I stumbled through that, so I'm going to read that one more time because it's going to give us a little bit of an idea of the overall, overall idea of Samuel. Here we go. Be sure to fear the Lord and faithfully serve him. Think of all the wonderful things he has done for you. If you continue to sin, you and your king will be swept away. So the overall theme of 1 Samuel is God's providence despite our silliness. <laughs> God's providence despite our silliness. What we're going to see throughout 1st and 2nd Samuel is all of these different things are happening. Some good decisions are made, some really, really bad decisions are made. But all throughout these different things, God is going to continually be moving behind the scene, almost as a master chess master. And all of these pawns and kings and knights and kings and queens are slowly being nudged into place for God to have his way. And one of the things that I hope that you gain from this is the hope that no matter what happens in your life, God is always moving. God is always pushing pieces into place over here, moving things over there so that he can do the ultimate good in your life. Because we're going to see this. We're going to see as Samuel does the right thing, but other people around him are doing the wrong thing. What happens? We're going to see as Saul starts out really good and goes really south. We're going to see how David is constantly being attacked by Saul and these different things, but God slowly nudges things in place for him to ultimately be the king that God wants for them. So we're going to dive into this. And so if you want to get your Bibles with me, 1 Samuel chapter 1, while you're getting that ready, I want to tell you about two more things just to think about over the next several books that we're going to be going through. And that is this. First of all, the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, teaches lessons very differently than it does in the New Testament. Now, in the New Testament, Paul will come to us and he'll say, flee from sexual immorality. Anything outside the heterosexual union of a husband and wife, don't do that. You know, it's bad. Don't do that. Well, in the Old Testament, they won't always say it quite like that. 
You know, it does in the Ten Commandments, but other places it won't quite say that. Instead, it will tell you a story. And in that story, these people weren't faithful. And when they weren't faithful, their lives fell apart. Well, what's the obvious lesson from that? Be faithful or your life's going to fall apart. (laughs) But it doesn't always say it outright. It will tell us stories of the nation of Israel or people, and we're intended to get the meaning out of the story. You can see that a lot in the life of Jesus, where he would tell parables. And sometimes he would go back and explain to you the parable. A lot of times he wouldn't. And it was up to you to then determine what he was saying and how he was teaching and leading in that way. And so much of the Old Testament is like that. That's why almost instantly after the Old Testament was written, there was this thing called the Talmud that started being written, and all these different things, and it was commentary on it to kind of help people grapple with these different stories. The Talmud is not inspired. The Old Testament is, and that's how they would learn is to learn from story. So as we're going to read this, it's going to be one story after another. So we're going to be trying to grab out of this, okay, what is the lesson from this story and how can we apply it to our life? Because that's how the Old Testament teaches is through story. And then one more thing and we'll get started. (coughs) Excuse me. Here's the one. When I was reading through this as a kid, I was getting so confused on why we were covering the same ground again and again. Let me give you an example. In 1 Samuel, we hear a lot about Saul. 2 Samuel is about the life of David. Well, then we're going to go to 1 and 2 Kings. And it's going to talk about the different kings after the time, you know, during the time of Saul and then afterward and all of that. And like, okay, that kind of makes sense. And then you go into Chronicles and it's like it starts all over again. So 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles, it seems like it's all telling the same story over and over again. And the answer is yes, it actually is. So... First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings kind of go together, and then you have First and Second Chronicles. So if you were to pair them once again, Samuel and Kings go together, Chronicles goes together. The reason why they tell the stories kind of the same way is when they were written. Even though these events happen right after the time of Judges, the nation of Israel goes through this time of kings for a long time. And God keeps telling this, these kings, you need to turn back to me or neighboring armies are going to come in. They're going to overwhelm you. Okay, God, we'll get to that. <laughs> and so they come back to God for a little while, and then they kind of wouldn't. Same thing that's happened in the book of Judges happens during the time of the kings. And God would send these prophets. That's what Isaiah, Jeremiah, these different ones, that's what they're doing is they're warning the nation of Israel, come back to God, come back to God. Don't let judgment fall. Well, eventually they don't come back to God. And so eventually judgment falls and the nation of Israel, those who survive, Jerusalem being sacked by neighboring armies and all this stuff, they are taken away to these other nations. They're exiled, and they're exiled for 70 years. And at the time when they have been conquered, that is when First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings were completed. Now, First Samuel was written probably largely by Samuel. But the rest of it, some of it by Nathan and some of it by a historian named Gath, and all of that was written, all of it was finished, finished up, and compiled about the time they are going off into exile. And so the nation of Israel at the time is grappling with the question, how did we get here? How did we mess things up so bad that we're now going into exile? And so that's why you're going to see over Samuel and Kings a much more critical look at these kings. You're going to hear how great David was, but then he also had problems. How great Solomon was, we had all these problems. And you're going to hear all of these different problems and all the times the kings rebelled against God because the nation of Israel at the time was grappling with the idea of how did we get to this place so that we're being exiled. And so that's going to be Samuel and Kings. But then when we get to Chronicles, they're telling the same story, but this time 
It is after the exile. As the nation of Israel is now starting to come back at the end of the exile, and now they're grappling with the question of, what's our heritage? Who are we? Where do we go from here? Will God be with us? And so what you see in First and Second Chronicles is the same basic story, but this time told through the eyes of how God sees us. Not perfect, but moving in the right direction through hope and through what could be. And so it's amazing how the Holy Spirit can inspire something. And on one end gives a very direct, critical view. Hey, be so very careful because this is what waits. And on the other side, one that was through hope and through what could be. So that's a lot to say, but I'm really excited to go through this with you. And as we go through it, as you see these stories happening over and over again, it's because of the context in which they were written. Okay, all right, if we're ready, we're going to get into the first one, the first story from 1 Samuel chapter 1. Here we go. There was a man named Elkanah who lived in Ramah in the region of Zeph, in the hill country of Rephaim. He was the son of Jehoram, the son of Elu, the son of Tehu, the son of Zuf, the son of Ephraim. Elkanah had two wives, Hannah and Paniah. Paniah had children, but Hannah did not. Each year, Elkanah would travel to Shiloh to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of Heaven's armies at the tabernacle. The priests of the Lord at that time were two sons, Eli and Hophni. Of, of excuse me, there were two priests. Let me try this again. The priests of the Lord at the time were the two sons, Eli, two sons of Eli. Listen, let me tell you, let's just pause. I'm just going to tell you what I'm trying to say. There was a high priest whose name was Eli. He had two sons. Those two sons were Hophni and Phinehas. I have no idea why that's that hard to say, but now I've said it. Here we go. Verse 4. On the days Elkanah presented his sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to Paniah and each of her children. And though he loved Hannah, he would give her only one choice portion, because the Lord had given her no children. So Paniah would taunt Hannah and make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having children. Year after year, it was the same. Paniah would taunt Hannah as they went to the tabernacle. Each time, Hannah would be reduced to tears and would not even eat. Why are you crying, Hannah? Elkanah would say. Why aren't you eating? Why are you downhearted just because you have no children? You have me? Isn't that better than having ten sons? Pause. The answer? No. (laughs) Back then, it was considered an honor for a woman to be able to have children. It was a sign that God was with her. And so for her to not have any kids... One of the reasons why Paniah would taunt her nowadays would be the other way around. It'd be like, hey, look at all them kids you got, you know. But then it was considered God favors me. God has given me the opportunity to have these wonderful children. And so to not have any was the height of disrespect from God. Like, I, I must have done something wrong. That's how it was viewed. Of course, we both know that's not the way it goes a lot of times, most of the time, 99.9% of the time, you know. But the idea was that if you're not having kids, you've done something wrong. So that's why she was downhearted. And poor, poor clueless husband was like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm good enough. And I'm sure she was like, no, I need to have kids. So here we go. Verse 9. Once, after a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up and went to pray. Eli, the priest, was sitting at his customary place beside the entrance of the tabernacle. Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. And then she made a vow. O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire lifetime. And as a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will not be cut. Now pause. 
If you remember, we were reading through the book of Judges. That's what they did to Samson. Samson had a Nazarite vow, and part of that is you don't cut his hair. Well, from now on, when you look at, or as we read through the story of 1 Samuel, and you think of Samuel, Samuel had long hair just like Samson. So he would have had that, and it was a sign of a Nazarite vow. Verse 12, as she was praying to the Lord, Eli watched her. Seeing her lips moving, but hearing no sound, she thought she had been drinking. Bible's way of saying she's a drunk woman. (laughs) Verse 14, he said, must you come here drunk, he demanded? Throw away your wine. No, 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 sir, she replied. I haven't been drinking wine or anything stronger, but I am very discouraged. I was here pouring my heart out to the Lord. Don't think that I'm this wicked woman, for I have been praying out of great anguish and sorrow. Well, in that case, Eli said, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant the request you have asked of him. Oh, thank you, sir, she exclaimed. And she went back and began to eat again, and she was no longer sad. The entire family got up the next morning and went to worship the Lord once more. When they returned home to Ramah, Elkanah slept with Hannah, and the Lord remembered her plea. In due time, she gave birth to a son, and she named him Samuel. For she said, I have asked the Lord for him. The next year, Elkanah and his family went on their annual trip to offer sacrifice to the Lord and to keep his vow. But Hannah did not go. She told her husband, wait until the boy is weaned, and then I will take him to the tabernacle and leave him there with the Lord prematurely. Now pause one more time. So she has said, I will give him to you. But what she was saying is, I'm going to give him (laughs) to you. So she's going to go and going to leave Samuel there to serve in the house of God. But to do that, she wants to make sure that he is weaned. Now, for some, that could be as early as two years old, some for three, and some, they, they interpret this weaned as being when he had had his bat mitzvah, a bat mitzvah, which would have been the age of 12. He was probably somewhere around three, and four, three to four when he was weaned, so he was now given to uh, Eli to raise up as a priest. It's kind of sad when you think about it, but she still got to see him as she would go up to the tabernacle, and we'll read about that later. The Bible says this, Whatever you think is best, Elkanah agreed, stay here for now, and may the Lord help you and keep help you keep your promise. So she stayed home and nursed the boy until he was weaned. When the child was weaned, Hannah took him to the tabernacle in Shiloh. They brought him along, they brought along a three-year-old bull for a sacrifice and a basket of flour and some wine. After sacrificing the bull, they brought the boy to Eli. Sir, do you remember me? Hannah asked. I am the very woman who stood here several years ago praying to the Lord. I asked the Lord to give me a boy, and he has granted my request. Now I am giving him to the Lord, and he will belong to the Lord his whole life. And they worshiped the Lord there. What an amazing thing. And we can already see how God is moving in the lives of these people. Remember we said that the overall idea of this is God's providence despite our silliness. Well, it was silly that Paniah was aggravating Hannah, but at the same time, God used this to drive Hannah deeper in her relationship with God, even to the point that she was praying so hard she looked like a drunk person. And I don't know what that looks like, (laughs) but it must have been something. But it drove her into this to where she was willing to ask for God for big prayers. And then he answered her in an amazing way. And so what can we take out of this? You know, to me, what I think we can take out of this is to never stop praying. Never stop praying and asking God for the desires of your heart. 
But always ask in a way, not for your selfishness, but to ask in a way so that you can honor God with it. I think if she just said, I want a son because I want a son. Well, I don't know if that would have gotten very far. But if it's, I want a son so that I can bring glory to you because he's going to serve you all of your life. That's a very different kind of prayer. And so I want to ask you this question. The prayers that you're praying for, the prayers that you're agonizing over, are they there to bring you glory or to bring God glory? Maybe the reason why God hasn't answered them yet is not because he doesn't want to answer you and he's not trying to torment you. Maybe it's because he's waiting for you to adjust them and make them about him and not about you. What I do know is, is that God is always moving. And since he's always moving, I can trust that the season I'm in, God has purpose. Also, I can trust that if I will follow him, he will help me along the way. I can't wait to get deeper into 1 Samuel and just dig into what God is going to say to us. But right now, I want to ask you that question. What are you praying for right now? And how do you need to adjust those prayers to sincerely make them for God's glory? And what will that do? Let's pray together right now. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you that you're with us and you're for us. God, as we get ready to get into 1 Samuel, God, there's going to be so many adventures that we're going to have together. Good days, bad days, everything in between. But right now, God, we just lift them up to you. We ask you to speak to our hearts, to change our lives. Help us realize that we make our lives, Lord, focused on you. You always lead us in the right direction. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Don't forget, God's word says in 1 Samuel 12, be sure to fear the Lord and faithfully serve him. Think of all the wonderful things he has, he has done. But if you continue to sin, you and your king will be swept away. God warns us, keep our eyes on him because that is where the good things happen. I love you. I'll see you tomorrow for 1 Samuel chapter 2. Mm-hmm.